This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This show is brought to you by the Buddhist Youth Association every Sunday, bringing Buddhism to the community of the Waikato. We also give away a range of free English or Chinese Buddhism books, MP3 or tapes on Buddhism. If you'd like one, please send a letter with $3 worth of stamps in an envelope to P.O. Box 82146, Highland Park, Howick, Auckland. Or you can phone 092713377. Buddhist Youth Association, respectful, beneficial, empowering. Hello and welcome to the program, where we're discussing the text, The Three Principal Aspects of the Path, by Lama Tsongkhapa. And now let's continue with the opening standards of the text. Last week I read the first few lines which go like this. I bow down to the Venerable Spiritual Masters. I will explain, as well as I am able, the essence of all the teachings of the conqueror, the path praised by the conquerors and their spiritual children, the entrance for the fortunate ones who desire liberation. Listen with clear minds, you fortunate ones, who direct your minds to the path pleasing to the Buddha and strive to make good use of leisure and opportunity without being attached to the joys of cyclic existence. We've discussed why Lama Tsongkhapa paid homage to the spiritual masters who are our teachers and the qualities that make an authentic spiritual teacher and an authentic student. So let's go on to the next lines. I will explain as well as I am able the essence of all the teachings of the conqueror the path praised by the conquerors and their spiritual children, the entrance for the fortunate ones who desire liberation. Now in the olden days, the author of a text like this would first write a homage and then a kind of summary explaining what the text would be about. His Holiness the Dalai Lama calls it a promise to compose. So in these lines, Tsongkhapa promises to explain first of all the essence of all the teachings of the conqueror, the conqueror being of course the Buddha. The essence of all the teachings is renunciation, the first principal aspect of the path. Why is renunciation called the essence of all the teachings of the conqueror? asks Pema Chodron, and answers the question with this. The essence of all the teachings of the Buddha lead to generating the ultimate aim, the ultimate renunciation, which means the Buddha's knowledge, in the minds of all the disciples. More commonly, Renunciation is what sets us on the path to liberation. We look at cyclic existence with a totally clear and honest mind and see that it's full of faults. There's no lasting happiness, joy or peace to be found in cyclic existence. Being horrified at the prospect of remaining in the prison of the cycle of constantly recurring difficulties and suffering under the influence of ignorance, afflictions and karma, we make a firm determination to be free from it. This aspiration for liberation inspires us to practice the path and make Dharma a priority in our lives. Then, in the next bit of the line, Lama Tsongkhapa says he will also explain the path praised by the conquerors and their spiritual children, meaning the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas. The path praised here is Bodhicitta, the intention to attain enlightenment to benefit all living beings. And that is, of course, the second principal aspect. Again, Pema Chodron says, you can see why the bodhicitta intention 
is what's praised by all the conquerors, the Buddhas and their spiritual children, because that's what leads us to the full enlightenment. And that bodhicitta is what becomes the cause of the happiness for all sentient beings. When we have that love and compassion for sentient beings, then we reach out to them. Then what we do becomes of benefit to them. One person's actions can have so many ripple effects and so many good consequences when it's motivated by this altruistic intention. So that's why it's the path that's praised by conquerors and their spiritual children. Now if the path praised by the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas refers to Bodhicitta, the second principal aspect, naturally the entrance for the fortunate ones who desire liberation must refer to the third, the wisdom realizing the true nature of reality. His Holiness says that the words, as well as I am able, indicates that this will be a brief explanation, not something like Lama Tsongkhapa's great tome, the great treatise on the stages of the path to enlightenment. And then Pema Chodron once more asks, why is the correct view the entrance for the fortunate ones who desire liberation? Well, that's because it's the correct view or the realization of emptiness that cuts the ignorance, which is the root of cyclic existence. So that correct view is the entrance into liberation because it's what frees us. We're called the fortunate ones because we have all the conditions necessary to practice and we have an interest in practice. Thus, correct view is the entrance which leads us fortunate ones to liberation. Nageshi Sonam Rinchen is a bit more formal as he explains these lines like this. All the teachings given by the enlightened ones are intended to help us avoid bad rebirths as well as many other kinds of suffering associated with cyclic existence and to provide us with a means to reach liberation and enlightenment. For this, skillful means and wisdom must be combined. Of the many forms of skillful means, the highest is the altruistic intention to attain enlightenment for the sake of all living beings. And of the many kinds of understanding, the understanding of the fundamental nature of reality is the most profound. A strong wish for freedom from cyclic existence gives us the impetus to develop both of these. So in these lines we have the three principal aspects of the path, the fuel to developing bodhicitta, the best of skillful means, and wisdom, the understanding of the nature of, re of reality, being renunciation, the wish to be free of cyclic existence. Geshe Sanam Rinchen goes on, The three categories of the Buddha's teachings relating to the different kinds of training in ethical discipline, concentration and wisdom, which may also be expressed as training in conduct, meditation and view, can all be condensed into the practices of the three levels of capacity and further abridged into the three principal aspects of the path. When we practice them, we practice everything the Buddha taught. It isn't possible to drink the milk of a thousand cows in its ordinary form, but we can drink it as condensed milk. We may not be able to eat all the algae that go into a bottle of spirulina, or all your barley plants that make up a jar of barley essence, but the concentrates derived from them are easily absorbed and highly nutritious. And he continues with the eating allegory, with, if you want good health, you must ensure that your diet is well balanced and complete. You won't just gobble up anything edible that comes your way. Spiritual food should be approached with equal care. 
The practices you choose should be genuine and complete. Sakya Pandita said that when we're buying a jewel or a horse, and the same would apply these days to buying a car or a house, we shop around and ask others for advice. But a wise or unwise purchase can only affect our fortunes in this life. The spiritual practices we undertake can assure or jeopardize our well-being throughout many future lifetimes, and so it's essential to make a wise choice. He goes on to say that as an authentic teaching is passed down directly from the Buddha, it is carefully examined by great masters to see that no errors or additions creep in while it's being passed from teachers to their students. Also meditators practice and gain insights into the teaching, which they too pass on to others. In this way, from the Buddha to great masters and excellent practitioners to students, a valid teaching can go down from generation to generation, helping many, many beings. Keshe Sanam Rinchen states that this teaching on the three principal aspects of the path has gone through just such a process and has been proven valid. These three principal insights are not just something of value to Buddhists, he writes. If we look beyond labels and terminology, we will discover the true meaning of these insights and the function they perform. Then we can see whether they have any relevance to us and our situation and can choose whether or not to invest energy in trying to develop them. Pema Chodron makes the point that when a text is studied carefully like this, even phrase by phrase, we see that it contains a depth of meaning we miss if we just read it or even recite it as a daily practice. This is the advantage of having a detailed teaching on a text because then when you see it, you can see each word is very weighty. Each phrase has a real important meaning, she says. That brings the text alive. Also then, when we recite the text, it isn't just blah, 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 when's it going to be over? But it's like, oh wow, I could sit and meditate on this one paragraph for an hour or two. It becomes really rich. However, I think that's enough on that one line for now. Now let's go on to the next one. This is Lama Tsongkhapa encouraging his students not just to sit and listen to the teaching, but to actually put it into practice. Listen with clear minds, you fortunate ones, who direct your minds to the path pleasing to the Buddha and strive to make good use of leisure and opportunity without being attached to the joys of cyclic existence, he writes. Now, I don't know Tibetan, but Pema Chodron says that this translation is a little bit loose with the structure of the line. Where the English puts, who direct your minds to the path pleasing to the Buddha, first, followed by, strive to make good use of leisure and opportunity, and finally, without being attached to the joys of cyclic existence, the Tibetan has them switched around. A closer translation, if not quite as user-friendly in English, seems to be the one Geshe Sonam Rinchen uses, which goes, unattached to the joys of worldly existence, striving to use well their freedoms and riches, trusting the path that pleases the victors, fortunate ones, listen with a pure mind. There is a point to this sequence, and I'll let Pema Chodron explain what it means for the three principal as aspects of the path. In the Tibetan, the phrase, without being attached to the joys of cyclic existence, is actually the first line of the verse, she says. It's correlated with renunciation. So, 
without being attached to the joys of cyclic existence means that we want to give up cyclic existence. Why? Because we see that the joys of cyclic existence aren't really joys. They're actually in the nature of suffering. They're in the nature of dukkha. So we aren't attached to those things. We aren't distracted by those things. In the Tibetan, the second phrase is make good use of leisure and fortune opportunity. And that would be the second line in the Tibetan. This is correlated with bodhicitta or the altruistic intention. Thus the best way to make good use of our precious human life with its leisure and opportunity to practice Dharma is to generate the altruistic intention. The third line in the Tibetan is the path pleasing to the Buddha and that is associated with the correct view. And, and again, as in the previous verse, that path is praised by the conquerors or pleasing to the Buddhas because the correct view is what actually cuts the root of cyclic existence. If that's a little confusing, it's simply because the translation can't go exactly as the Tibetan lines go because Tibetan grammar is the opposite of our Western grammar. And that's what Pema Chodron says. But we've seen that the English can match the Tibetan, though it comes out a little stilted. Nevertheless, the point is made. Now let's go back to what Geshe Sonam Rinche says about this line and take good notice, because he directs his questions directly at our hearts. Remember, he's com commenting on his translation, which again goes, unattached to the joys of worldly existence, striving to use well their freedoms and riches, trusting the path that pleases the victors, fortunate ones listen with a pure mind. Who are the fortunate, he asks. The Buddha's precious teachings are for us, and we are entitled to our share of them. If you were invited to a sumptuous dinner, and every everyone but you was served, you'd feel upset. But nothing more than a few hours with an empty stomach would be at stake. Does it disturb you to think you might miss your share of the Buddha's teachings? Would you feel deprived and consider it the loss of something valuable? The truly fortunate are those indifferent even to the most enthralling pleasures of cyclic existence. So let's take, for instance, the prizes for a typical Big Wednesday lotto. Say a main prize of $5 million plus a Lamborghini Gallardo LP564 plus a seven-seater Audi Q7 3TDI S-Line, plus a Rayglass 220 Bowboat, plus $675,000 worth of cash towards a batch or holiday home, plus a Visa Platinum credit card loaded with $50,000, plus another $50,000 towards luxury travel. Now, could you be indifferent to all that? To be quite frank, I don't think I would know what to do with it all. Really? A monk riding around in a Lamborghini Gallardo? I can just see the traffic cop's face when he sees who's been driving at 200k per hour in a 100k per hour stretch of road. Just joking, of course, but if you suddenly came into riches like that, it might be very difficult not to let yourself become entranced with all you could do with it. It's worth noting, though, that Lotto New Zealand has a counselling service for those who win big. So many people find that winning so much is more of a curse than a blessing, much in line with what the Buddha has to say about the joys of cyclic existence. The Daily Beast, a site that calls itself a smart, speedy take on the V-news from around the world, 
last year ran a magazine-style-like article on those who'd won and lost big. From Jeffrey Dampier, who won $20 million, to Jack Whitaker, who got a cheque for nearly $315 million. It didn't help that Dampier was generous to all and sundry, buying his family houses and gifts with his winnings. His sister-in-law and her boyfriend kidnapped, robbed and killed him. And when he won the $315 million, Whitaker made the mistake of publicizing his good fortune on several TV shows. He was also very generous, giving over $15 million away. I wanted to build churches, he said. I wanted to get people food that didn't have food. I wanted to provide clothing for children that needed clothing. But then he found that suddenly everybody wanted his money, and he and his construction company, which had had few complaints before, was besieged with 400 lawsuits. We went to a ball game, a basketball game, and we must have had 150 people come up to us, and it would be going right back to asking for money, he told ABC News. He got so miserable about it all that he started drinking. The most important person in his life was his granddaughter, and, of course, he shared his wealth with her, something like $2,000 a week when she was 17 years old. But the money led to drugs, drug dealers, and her death a couple of years after the big win. She was the shining star of my life, and she was what it was all about for me, Whitaker said. From the day she was born, it was all about providing and protecting and taking care of her. You know, my wife had said she wished that she had torn the Powerball ticket up. Well, I wish that we'd torn the ticket up too. Of course, there are plenty of people who have used their good fortune well, but you can't compare winning even $315 million with the results of following the teachings and gaining liberation. Geshe Sonam Rinchen says, Recognizing the rarity and value of human life, in which the truly fortunate enjoy many freedoms and riches, there are as single-minded about attaining liberation as someone whose hair has caught fire would be about extinguishing it. They feel a strong conviction regarding the path to enlightenment, the path which the victorious ones delight to see us follow. Do we meet these criteria? What does indifference to the delights of cyclic existence mean? We neither destroy our pleasure in them nor ignore them, but overcome our addictive craving for them. And this is the important point. It's not the pleasure we get out of the joys of cyclic existence that is the problem. It is our addiction to them. Whether we win lotto or not shouldn't make much difference to us. And so perhaps those people who win lotto but still do what they usually do and don't allow it to change their lives much are most well off. But it's not just money we can be addicted to. Anything the mind lusts after and doesn't want to let go of is an addiction. There's even a story of a monk who loved his begging bowl so much that when he died he was born as a worm that made its home in the begging bowl. If we look into our own minds, we can undoubtedly see many things we are addicted to. And they may not be actual things, they may be ideas, concepts, or just pictures in our mind, or life itself. So, as Geshe Ronsonam Rinches says, we may seem light years away from being able to be indifferent to the joys of cyclic existence, but we have to start from where we are. Skilled artisans don't start out that way, he says. Natural talent is essential, but they also have to learn and practice the many techniques of their craft. If you have the right inclination, you can develop the characteristics of a fine practitioner 
as described by Tsongkhapa. The teachings are the medicine we need to alleviate our suffering. They heal us, assuage our spiritual hunger and thirst, and nourish us. Human beings have the exceptional potential to gain lasting happiness and rid themselves completely of suffering. The teachings equip us to do this. Tsongkhapa encourages us to approach the teachings with a pure mind, free from the faults which make us like a pot that is upside down, a pot with a hole or a dirty pot, and with the six attitudes already explained. Now I was talking here about something we covered in the first program of this series, if you remember. The upside-down pot is a metaphor for someone who is physically present at a teaching, but mentally miles away. Someone who listens carefully to a teaching, but then forgets everything afterwards, is like a pot with a hole in it. And a person listening to teachings with a mind motivated by disturbing emotions and only concerned for this life is like the dirty pot. And then the six attitudes once again are, first of all, we like sick people. Secondly, the Buddha is our doctor. Thirdly, the Dharma is our medicine. Fourth, to get better we have to take the medicine. In other words, we have to practice the Dharma. Fifth, highly realized and enlightened beings are our helpers, guides and role models. And sixth, the teaching should remain long and prosper in the world. So when we have a mind free from the faults of being like one of the useless pots, but convinced of the six attitudes, we can say we have the pure mind Lama Tsongkhapa is referring to here. If we have those six recognitions, then when we come to teachings, we're all perky, says Pema Chodron. We want to hear the teachings, and we really understand the benefit of the teachings. We're really excited about it. When we have that kind of attitude, then our practice gets full of energy. When we don't have that attitude, then it's like, oh, I've got to go listen to teachings. My knees hurt, and it's so boring. Like that. But if we understand the advantages and benefits of teachings, then we really have a lot of pleasure to listen. One teacher who I think forced his students to really look at whether they wanted to listen or not is Lama Zoparimshe, the spiritual director of the Foundation for the Preservation of the Mahayana Tradition. A typical teaching could be scheduled for, say, 7 o'clock at night. But Rinpoche might not turn up until midnight, and he very seldom taught less than three or four hours, and often five or six, with hardly a break. Also, he had a vocal style that involved a lot of clearing of the throat, repetitions and pauses, as though he had suddenly disappeared into a deep samadhi. Boy, you really had to want to be at a teaching to be there. But his multitude of students and followers loved it and would go to his teachings night after night, even though it meant at most a couple of hours sleep before they were up again for their daily routines and duties. After Rinpoche had, had taught for a few days in this fashion, students would often be found wandering around haggard and bleary-eyed, but quite, quite blissful. Rinpoche had a stroke in 2011, so I don't think he's teaching quite so much these days. But a teaching from him was always quite an experience and a mirror on how much you were prepared to give up for the Buddha's words. Commenting on the exhortation to make good use of freedom and opportunity, Pema Chodron asks us to consider how valuable it is to have a good human body with excellent mental capabilities and access to the teachers, the teachings and spiritual friends. Sometimes we are very short-sighted and we just look at the problems in our life, she writes. 
Oh, I have so much work to do. Oh, my relationship is not going well. Oh, this person's mad at me. Oh, I lost my job. Oh, the economy is bad. We can sit and bellyache for a really long time. But when we do so, we waste our time. Whereas, when we really recognize how fortunate we are to have a precious human life with the opportunities to practice, then the things that we usually consider problems and headaches stop appearing to our mind to be so important. Instead, what's appearing to our mind is how fortunate we are to have the ability to practice the path. That's much more important, much more valuable than solving all of the world's problems. Even if we solved all our worldly problems tomorrow, we'd just get a whole new batch. Having this sense of rejoicing about our opportunity to practice the Dharma lifts us out of depression. It gives us a sense of hope and joy and meaning and purpose to our life. It's very important to think about this. So writes Pema Children. And with that, we've completed the three preliminary points of this text. The homage, the promise to compose, and the exhortation to listen, pra- listen and practice. So now we come to the main body of the text, which Pema Chodron points out has four main subdivisions. The explanation of renunciation, the explanation of bodhicitta, the explanation of the correct view of reality, and words of encouragement to practice after recognizing the truth of the instructions. Under the first point of ren- renunciation, we find three subpoints why to develop renunciation, how to develop it, and how we know when we have developed it. So the next verse relates to why we should develop renunciation. The verse reads, For you embodied beings, bound by the craving for existence, without the pure determination to be free, that's renunciation, from the ocean of cyclic existence, there's no way for you to pacify the attractions to its pleasurable effects. Thus from the outset, seek to generate the determination to be free. Now what does this mean? It means, says Pema Children, that without renunciation, if we think we can get some happiness out of samsara, we'll go for that rather than liberation or enlightenment. It's like someone who's in prison, she says. Unless they see the disadvantages of prison, they're not going to have any wish to be out of prison. If you're in prison, and instead you think of all the good qualities of being in prison, three hot meals, I don't have to work, I have a bed to sleep in. If you think like this, then prison seems very comfortable. Then you have, well, why should I try to get out of prison? It's actually quite comfy in here. If you think like that, then you have no interest or impetus to get out. So then you spend your whole life in prison. It's the same way. As long as we think that there's happiness in cyclic existence, then we have no interest in getting out. As a result, then we just stay in cyclic existence. That's like the prisoner who stays in prison and they don't see. They don't have no freedom. They're treated like an infant. They're bossed around. They can't get a good education. It's totally noisy. And there are all these obstacles to so many things you want to do. But until they see all of that, they're stuck in the middle of it because they don't want to get out. It's a similar thing. As long as we think cyclic existence is nice, then... Yes, let's hang around. It's no problem. What we're trying to do with renunciation is see the faults of cyclic existence because that gives us the energy to change the situation. This is actually one of the most difficult things for us to see in our practice. So there you have it. 
On, not, on that point, we must leave the text, for time is now up. Thank you for joining the program today, and I hope it's interested, interested you enough to come back next week. Please dedicate all positive potential to the enlightenment, enlightenment of all living beings. Thank you, and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.